Well, good evening to all of you. It's good to be here tonight. And uh, feels like uh, being back home, but I feel more like I'm at the church camp out than at church. Tonight I'm here because um, um, Brother Dan's going to do me a favor. And uh, he's preaching for me next Sunday at Caswell uh, because we had a, a little family get-together that's coming up. And uh, so I was kind of scrounging around and trying to find who I could fill in, and Brother Dan graciously said he would. And uh, so in lieu of that, that's why I'm here tonight. Now, the fact that you uh, moved it here tonight was, um, it suited us just fine uh, because I was able to be at Caswell this morning. We, um, in North Carolina, we're kind of back to normal. So if you want to come to a normal church service some Sunday morning, just come on down there. We're uh, Today we were back at the Aruritan building for the first time, and so we're back uh, uh, business as usual. Um, North Carolina governor saw fit to exempt churches from any restrictions and so we're thankful for that and um and you know in in light of that i told my congregation uh last week we were talking about prayer requests and i said let's pray for our churches in virginia um you've got some challenges and and i want to talk a little bit about that this evening in fact i'll just give you the the um, topic here now it's respecting authority and I want us to think about that this evening. Um, you know, there's so many things have changed in the last number of weeks. It's, it's just, it's, it's incredible to think of, of all the things that have, have taken place. And, uh, you know, if I were to tell you that just a few weeks ago that you'd be meeting outside and we have a perfectly good building sitting right here behind me, uh, you, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, neither would I. Um, but, you know, who would ever thought that, that you'd be forced to, to worship outside? Um, you know, it's very easy to complain, to voice our frustrations with what all's taken place, things that we don't understand. Why can we do things in North Carolina that you can't do here? And it could go on and on. Um, and, you know, I've been right there with you. I've had my frustrations. And yes, Marcus, I, I know I have a good wife, too, that tells me sometimes that, you know, tries to help put me back on the, on the right path in, in thinking through these things. But I want to commend you all for, for attempting to obey authorities as best you can um, and yet have church services. That's why I'm glad to see you here. There are some churches that are just kind of given up for a while. But you're making an effort to do what needs to be done. And um, I know that, that these decisions weigh heavily on the ministry. Um, as as you, you feel the, the pressure of, of making these decisions for your church, for your congregation, uh, literally on a weekly basis. You know, what are we going to do next Sunday? How is it going to work? And... Um, so I just encourage all of you to encourage them and to support them in whatever they decide to do and however it works. When we think about things, you know, sometimes we think that, well, maybe this is the beginning of persecution. Perhaps it is. I don't know. Um, and some people may feel that 
they're being persecuted. But you know, as I thought about that, we just, we know nothing about persecution. The things that we're facing here pale in comparison to what many others face. I don't know how many of you follow a ministry called Open Doors USA, but they, um, actually they were sort of inspired by the work of Brother Andrew, who uh, as many of you know about him, he for years smuggled Bibles into communist countries. And uh, they've tried to continue that type of work and, and they support and attempt to support many Christians that are suffering and being persecuted in many countries. One of the things they do is collect data. And uh, they publish their data uh, in January of every year. It's called the 50 most persecuted countries in their world watch list. And so every year they update it and, and uh, publish that information. Um, and here's some data from the uh, 2020 World Watch List report. Um, 260 million Christians in the top 50 World Watch List experience high levels of persecution. They categorize levels of persecution as high, medium, and low. Uh, 260 million Christians are in the category of high levels of persecution. Um, 2,893 Christians were killed for their faith or faith-related reasons. Over uh, uh, 3,000, this is a significant number here, uh, 3,700 Christians were detained without trial, arrested and sentenced and imprisoned. And that is up a significant amount. Uh, I'm not sure what that figure is. Um, and there are 11 countries that are scored in the extreme level of persecution. And just five, uh, six years ago, there was only one country that scored, and that was North Korea. Today, there are 11 countries that score as um, high levels uh, or extreme levels of persecution. Uh, by the way, North Korea is still at the top. It's number one. Um, and you can go on their website and look at all the other, the other countries. 9,488 churches are attacked, burned, or vandalized each month in the top 50 uh, World Watch list. And 11 Christians are killed every day in those 50 countries. Those are staggering numbers when we think about that. And, and here we are, and sometimes we complain about the circumstances that we have. And I understand that it's, it's wearisome. I've heard people express those terms that they're just weary of this. And, and I understand that. I've experienced some of that myself. Um, I'll just give you a little more information about um, this world watch list. Um, they rank countries in, in five areas of pressure and that is church life, community life, private life, national life, and family life. And that's how they come up with their scoring. Then they couple that with violence, such as attacks, um, executions, and so forth. Um, 
And so that's how they come up with a number, and then these countries are graded and scored according to that. That's how they, they come up with their data. I just want to read a couple excerpts from their, um, their newsletter. Um, in China, which is number 23 in the World Watch list, one being the worst, North Korea, um, where there are an estimated 97 million Christians, persecution against Christians has taken a technological turn. A recent report cited by CNBC estimates there are approximately 415 million surveillance cameras in China, a number only expected to grow in coming years. China has also developed widespread facial recognition software and established laws requiring facial scans to purchase a phone. When taken together, these two technological advances mean the government can track individuals like never before. China is also rolling out a countrywide social credit system, which by authorities, uh, by which authorities plan to reward good citizenship and punish bad. Already one community has reportedly decided to add penalties for those who illegally spread Christianity. It's easy to see how surveillance technology could be used in tandem with the SCS to make everyday life difficult for anyone the Chinese government deems insufficiently Chinese, including Christians. Uh, similarly, uh, similarly in India, which is number 10, the government plans to introduce a national facial recognition system. There were at least 447 verified incidents of violence and hate crimes against Christians in India in the 2020 World Watch List uh, reporting period. There is fear that more tracking could increase these attacks. So that's just a little excerpt. There are many stories in here of what's happening all around the world, but it's escalating. Um, I think I, I referenced this um, last year and um, the, the figure of, of um, persecuted Christians is up 6% uh, from what it was just a year ago. So um, we have a lot to be thankful for. We have much to be thankful for. Even though we may live in, in a time when we don't understand everything that's happening and we question authorities and we think some of the things they're doing are just absolutely foolish um, and sometimes even wrong, I want us to get a perspective tonight of what God wants us or, or how he wants us to view authorities, respecting authorities. I'd like to start off by telling a story of a book I read some time ago about a man named Anthony Ray Hinton. Anthony was um, a young man. He grew up in a small town in Alabama. He lived with his mother. His father uh, was not in the story. I'm not sure what happened to his father, but he grew up with his mother. As he grew into adulthood, he uh, got a job. He worked at a warehouse on night shift. And in 1985, in his community, there happened to be three separate robberies and subsequent murders in the area. An acquaintance that disliked him submitted his name as a suspect. And so one evening while he was mowing his mother's lawn, uh, the police came by the house 
he saw them talking to his mother and then they came out to him and um, they said they wanted to take him in for questioning. So he was taken in uh, to the police station, questioned and held in jail as a suspect for the three murders. He was 29 years old. Anthony was eventually tried, convicted, and sentenced to death for all three murders that he did not commit. Now, Ray was black, and he was convicted by a white judge, a white prosecutor, an all-white jury, and unfortunately, even in 1986, racism was still prevalent. And today, it seems like it still rears its ugly head. Anthony was sent to a federal penitentiary in Atmore, Alabama to spend the rest of his days on death row. He describes in his book the horrors of living on death row. I was here when Brother Ken shared his experiences and, and living in a low security prison is like a cakewalk to what death row is like. <clears throat> His uh, court-appointed lawyer did not believe him and was incompetent. With no money, his options seemed limited. Many subsequent appeals were rejected, and to Anthony, his case looked hopeless. Finally, after many, many years, the U.S. Supreme Court reviewed his case and determined that there was no evidence that could be held against him. In light of this review, the state of Alabama had no other choice but to drop all charges, and Ray was set free. <clears throat> now, Ray was, uh, this was now April 2015, 29 years that he spent of his life on death row. During that time, his uh, dear mother had died. He was not able to go to the funeral. And uh, however, he had a childhood friend that never missed a Friday visit. In all of those 29 years, he was always there. <clears throat> and so, Ray, you could say, just missed out on a huge part of his life. He had a huge portion of his life was taken from him. And he came into a world that he could hardly recognize. Because in all of those 29 years, things had developed that he knew nothing about, such as cell phones, GPS, computers. So many things had changed. He was in a world that he could hardly recognize. But his response to all of this, to being on death row for 29 years, was that he had to learn to forgive. To forgive. <clears throat> he forgave the jury. He forgave the judge, the prosecutor, the guards who mistreated him. And I can't speak to where his heart is today, because uh, he certainly struggled with hatred uh, with rage and the forgiveness that he expresses in his book is something that came over time it didn't happen just all at once it took time for him to learn 
to forgive. And um, he expresses that much of that came from the encouragement of his godly mother. You know, respecting authority can have a big price. It can cost us a lot. And it will probably never cost us what it cost Ray. But he learned through all of that, the hatred, um, through the rage that he experienced to forgive. And if he hadn't learned that, I don't know what would have happened if, if he would ever really be a free man if he didn't learn to forgive. How else could you face life and go through that with that kind of hatred for nearly 30 years of your life taken from you? <clears throat> now, we don't know much about the, um, the Apostle Paul's prison experience. We know he was in prison uh, several times. <laughs> we do know pretty much that it wasn't very pleasant. Um, I don't know if it was bad as what Ray experienced or not. Um, Paul mentions his chains about 11 times in his letters. So it was a burden to him. He talks about it some, not a great deal, but some. However, he never wrote negatively about those who put him there. Furthermore, he wrote to the Roman Christians to Timothy and to Titus, instructing them on proper godly responses to authorities. And I want to read one of those passages here now. You can turn to Romans chapter 13, 1 to 5. I understand that you all weren't having Sunday school the last several weeks. And um, I think two weeks ago, it was on this passage. Maybe you studied it. Um, and I want to touch on some of that here this evening. Romans 13, just the first five verses, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise of the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. There's a definite connection between the authority of the land and God himself. And I'm not here to explain how all of that works because I don't know how it all works. But God has made it clear that, that his hand is in everything. His hand is in the governments of the land and, and of the world. And yes, we may think that, that men run their um, schemes, their propaganda, their uh, campaigns so that they are elected and sometimes they even uh, falsely pull up numbers and maybe we think some people have been elected on false premises 
but never forget that God is the one who sets up authorities. God is the one who sets up authorities. There is a, a uh, he makes it quite clear that God is the instigator of all authority. So, do we not need to pay taxes to a corrupt government just as much as we did to one that was not? <clears throat> we'll talk more about that maybe a bit later if we have time. By the way, I didn't see a clock on the back wall, so and nobody told me how long to go. So, uh, I guess you're uh, just along for the ride. Uh, but in this passage, Paul makes it clear. One, one thing he makes clear is that if we resist, then we resist God. If we resist the authorities, then we're resisting God. That's, that's quite a serious statement. And, and I know that, you know, there may be some fine lines to that. You know, when do you cross the line and say, as Peter said, we must obey God rather than men? We've struggled with that in North Carolina as we were hearing these mandates come from the governor. And at what point do we stand up and say enough is enough? Or at what point do you just simply go along with every th mandate that comes your way? And I, I don't have all of those answers. I have my thoughts and my opinions. But uh, it's like someone said, everyone has those. <clears throat> but Paul made it clear that if we resist authorities, we resist God. And that's a pretty serious thing when we consider that. Now, for the most part, the second thing I have here is this. For the most part, governments appreciate good behavior. And I think Paul references that. Uh, in, in these verses I just read. They appreciate good behavior and they are ready to punish bad behavior. That's generally what they are called to do. He is not saying that that is always the case. But as a general rule, that's what uh, authorities are set up for. And of course, as Peter said, we always obey God rather than men. I would tend to believe that those moments come uh, quite rarely uh, when we cross that line. Um, but however, I think that the Holy Spirit will guide us when those times come. Whether in a pure democracy to an unchecked despotism like Nero's reign, we're called to not resist authority. Now we'll look at another passage. Turn to uh, 1 Timothy 2. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 2, I'll read the uh, first seven verses. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all men to be saved and, co and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 
who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Well, there's some fascinating things that Paul is writing to Timothy here. <clears throat> and I want us to um, spend a little time thinking about this passage. The very first thing that he wants Timothy to do is to pray. To pray for those who are in authority. Um, and how do we pray for those who are in authority? Do we pray for their well-being or do we pray for their overthrow? Do we pray that they don't serve a second term? Uh, you know, there's many things that you can think about. How do you pray? Well, um, Paul gets pretty specific here. He gives them four things. He says, first of all, supplication. Now, I want to just break these down just a little bit. Supplication, we have four. Supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Uh, supplications, what is that? Um, supplications has more of the idea of, of realizing someone's uh, sense of need or their insufficiency to perform their task. So let's take uh, President Trump, for example. If we're going to, to pray a, a prayer of supplication for him, we realize that, that the task that he has before him is too great for any one man. And he's going to need help. And so we are supplicating, if you will, to the Heavenly Father to intercede for him. Because he needs help. And, and, uh, and our leaders need help. So that is a prayer of, of supplication. Sensing the need and the insufficiency for them to, to perform their tasks. The second one is prayers and and that is just quite literally the act itself just simply to pray you know to do that sometimes it's hard for us to do that you know we hear um maybe people come up to you and you meet them in town and, and they share with you something and say would you please pray for me or have your church pray i'm uh, right now I've been corresponding with an inmate that is in the uh, uh butner penitentiary there in uh, Butner, North Carolina. And, um, and he wants me to pray for him. He wants our church to pray for him. He's a believer. And uh, he feels very alone uh, in that penitentiary. Um, and so, you know, it's easy just to say, okay, we'll pray for you. And then we just kind of go on our way. But we've got to go through the act. We've got to actually do it. We've got to get on our knees and pray and, and bring these requests before God. So that's what Paul is saying. That's, that's part of it is the actual act of doing it. So pray for them. Thirdly, he mentions intercessions. Intercessions is, is sort of like supplication. Uh, it's coming near to God on behalf of another. Um maybe we realize that a leader does not pray and so we can pray for them or maybe a, a, a mother has a wayward son who is not walking with the Lord and so she can intercede for him because she can pray when he does not 
or you look at it in in our relationship to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our intercessor. In other words, he has access to the Father that we don't have. And, and in fact, he came from the Father, so he became our intercessor, and he is at the Father's side interceding for us. That's intercessory prayer. And so he's, he's pleading for us with the Father. And so we can do that for others. And Paul's telling Timothy to intercede for, for those who are in authority. Come near to God on behalf of them. And then fourthly, he says, in giving of thanks, or be thankful. Be thankful. Now we may say that, well, that's easy to do as long as we have leaders that treat us well. What if we don't? Can we still be thankful? I'm reminded of the story of Corey Ten Boom. And she struggled when she was in that concentration camp because there were fleas back in their barracks. And she struggled, how can I be thankful for the fleas? Uh, but her sister encouraged her that she would, that, that that's what they had to do. It wasn't until years later that she met one of the guards at that concentration camp at one of her speaking events. And the guard had become a Christian and was conversing with her and told her, you know why we did not come to your barracks and break up your Bible studies? <laughs> it's because of the fleas. And so she's able to realize after all of those years that there was blessing in the fleas. Uh, these, by the way, were were words that Paul wrote to Timothy. And um, you know who was in power when he wrote these? It was Nero, the emperor of Rome. Uh, let me refresh your memory about Emperor Nero in case you forgot or maybe you uh, missed out on that part of um, world history. Um, Nero became the uh, Roman Emperor in AD 54 at age 16. Mighty young fellow. Um, and in his short life, he became a brutal, tyrannical leader. Uh, he even had his own mother executed. The way he did that, he arranged um, for a ship that she was on to be shipwrecked. And uh, she actually survived the shipwreck, was able to swim to shore, uh, but one of his henchmen executed her and then reported it as a suicide. That was his own mother. Uh, he also executed one of his wives because she was barren. Um, many other people lost their lives at the hands of Nero. But he became quite infamous, however, because of his hatred for Christians. And, and his persecution for Christians probably just went beyond the pale of anything you've ever heard or read. <clears throat> um, he tried to make claim that they were the ones, the Christians were the ones who started the great fire of Rome during his reign. That was in about um, uh, AD 64. 
and a tremendous fire. I think they said it, it entirely burned about three districts of Rome and damaged uh, several more. <clears throat> and it burned for about nine days. Um, and he made claim that it was the Christians who started the, the fire of Rome. Uh, when actually, as most writers put, that he was the one who instigated the fire himself. Perhaps you've heard the saying that Nero played the fiddle while Rome burned. Uh, that's not quite accurate because the uh, fiddle wasn't uh, invented until about 1400 years later. But I did read somewhere that uh, he did um, he did sing in a stage costume during the fires, uh, some writer put. <clears throat> uh, but his claim that it was the Christians who started the fire gave him reason to persecute them. So they were thrown to beasts, they were crucified, they were burned alive. He even used Christians as human torches to illuminate his courtyard. The, uh, as I've said, the fire was in AD 64. The book of 1 Timothy was written somewhere either 64 up to 66. And so right during this time of Nero's worst days was when Paul was writing these very words to Timothy. And he says... To pray, to intercede, to give thanks for kings, for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Those are quite the words. So that we may live a peaceable life. You know, I've always kind of struggled over that phrase as I've read it. You know that we live in the land of the free. We live in a society that enjoys freedom. We might not be able to meet inside, but at least we can meet here. And um, the um, authorities around us pretty much leave us alone. And so is that what it means to be um, peaceable? tranquil, free from disturbance, to live a peaceable life. And so I think, well, what did that mean for Paul? What did it mean for him when he sat there in prison knowing that his was probably going to be the next head that came off at the hand of Nero? And many of his brothers were being burned at the stake, being tortured, uh, being executed in various ways, thrown to beasts and so forth. And yet Paul says, pray for them. You know, I think in, in him saying that, that perhaps he was looking as more of an internal peace. That we can leave, lead a peaceable life, that it may not be peaceable out here, but we at least can have peace inside. When we obey authorities, when we respect them, and, you know, that can have all kinds of, of connotations because when authorities see us respecting them, that usually uh, brings respect from them as well. 
But this was the leadership under which Paul was writing to Timothy to pray for them and to be thankful. Be thankful for them, even for Nero. I, I admit it's hard for me to fully e explain that or to describe it. Uh, but nonetheless, that's what Paul wrote. Nero, by the way, died in uh, AD 68. He was only 30 years old. They're not sure if um, he was uh, killed by one of his close bodyguards or if he took his own life. He had expressed numerous times that he wanted to commit suicide. He had been uh, overthrown and at one point was run out of Rome, but he returned. And uh, when he heard horses and chariots coming, they came inside and found his body at age 30. <clears throat> what a tragic life. But you know this thing of respecting authorities, this thing of of living a peaceful life is not just a New Testament concept. Here's a verse from Jeremiah 29, verse 7. It says, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. Remember, Israel was carried away captive into Babylon. He said, Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. In its peace, you will have peace. God's desire is that all men, including the judge, the prosecutor, the jurors, the inmate on death row, would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, let's think a little bit more about respecting those in authority. Uh, turn with me to Titus chapter 3. <clears throat> And I just want to read the first eight verses. Titus 3, verse 1, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Now, there's a lot here in this passage, but I want to bring this to a close and just share with you a few thoughts um, of what Paul is writing to this young man, Titus. Respect for authority begins at home. That's where children learn obedience. That's where uh, they learn to respect authorities. That is the first, uh, you as parents are the first authority figure that your child is introduced to. You're the first one to tell them no. 
or the first one to, to alter their behavior in any way. And so that's where it begins. But, you know, there can be obedience and not respect. In the authorities of the land, you can, you can obey, but it, inside you're not. Um, a th respect for authority is, is an element that has to be carried into our life, brought into our life as we grow older. As children grow older, we teach them not only do they obey, but they obey with a proper attitude, with respect. And so he writes to uh, Titus, he says, do not speak evil of them. You see, that's part of the attitude, not to even speak evil of authorities. And, and, and I'm not, you know, I haven't done very well with that sometimes, but yet I cringe when I hear some of the things people say about those who are in authority. Uh, there are some evil characters that are in positions of authority, there's no doubt. But let's be careful what we say. We must be obedient and ready to do good. In other words, Paul said to Titus, he wants to see some action, that you're not just simply obeying, but you're going beyond and ready to do good. Because that's going to help you in your relation, your relationship with other people. To be considerate, to be gentle. I'm kind of paraphrasing some of these words here. To, to, uh, to, be, uh, to consider the feelings of other people and their position of authorities. And finally, to be humble. You see, all of these things stem from the fact that we know Jesus and have experienced a transformation in our own life. That's the only way this is going to work out and flesh out is if we have experienced that transformation in our own life. If we haven't experienced that, then we're not going to learn what it means to really respect authorities. Verses 3 to 7, he talks about that. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and so forth. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We were saved not because of any good works that we had to bring to the table, but simply because of the mercy of God. That's how we are saved. <clears throat> and he poured it out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, having been justified by his grace, that we become heirs of the hope of eternal life. These are the good works. These good works are a direct result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our salvation comes from his mercy. So we can put these principles to practice. And, and, and if we have that relationship with God, we go out into the world, I will guarantee you it's going to affect how you relate to other people. Whether it is to governing authorities, whether it's how you respond to civil authorities, policemen, whether it's how you pay your taxes, or how you respond to the building codes that you have to work under, or whatever it may be. How you respond to employers who are not godly. I've had experience with that in the past. How do you respond to them? 
one more passage here and then we'll wrap it up. First Peter 2, 13 to 17. Uh, we've looked at the writings of Paul, but here's Peter. And he says something very similar. First Peter 2, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Peter's writing much like Paul did. You see, it was a belief and practice of the early church. It wasn't just a practice, it was a belief. They were convinced in their position that they had to honor the authorities, even people like Nero. They had to do it. It was, it was their responsibility as Christians. And so Peter, again, um, reiterates that same thing, to submit to the ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Because it is the will of God, it will silence ignorance or false accusations. And finally, verse 17, this is what it looks like. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. That's the way we should live, and I challenge you to do that as you go throughout life, wherever God leads you. May the Lord bless you.